Hello and welcome to the Calvert Journal podcast. I'm Nadia Beard, Editor-in-Chief of the Calvert Journal, and for International Women's Day I'm in St. Petersburg, Russia, talking with Lolia Nordic, a feminist activist, artist and DJ. Today we'll be talking about the state of feminism in Russia and the work Lolia and her fellow activists are doing to bring gender equality to the country. Thank you very much, Lolia, for coming to the office. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. Not that we need an excuse to talk about feminism, but it is International Women's Day, so I'd like to focus on the subject of feminism in Russia. We know that Russia has a long way to go in terms of gender equality, and there's still, I think, entrenched sexism which finds expression across society, from representation of women in politics and the heads of companies to sexual and domestic violence. How would you characterize gender equality in Russia today? Um, Obviously, we have huge problems in women's rights in Russia. Uh, we don't have a proper laws uh, um, protecting women here. And uh, we don't have a proper law against domestic violence. And some of activists are working on it for years by now. But it doesn't really <clears throat> succeed. Uh, they couldn't succeed in it for years. So um, I think it's a lot of work to be done and uh, it's a lot of activist uh, work first of all because uh, there is no intention at the top in the government to change things and all the energy and all the ideas they come from from below from from ordinary people from feminist activists from women who uh, experienced different kind of violence and injustice so I think that's why the feminist movement uh, is really important nowadays here. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to know whether there's been the equivalent of a Me Too moment or movement in Russia. Yeah, it was called um, I'm not afraid to say. Uh, it was uh, mostly the same strategy. Uh, different women were sharing their personal stories online on Russian Facebook and on other social media in Russia. Uh, they were speaking about uh, the abuse they experienced, sexual violence, domestic violence. And it was hundreds of stories. I think it was maybe thousands of stories. It was everywhere. And uh, um, a lot of people were shocked because uh, uh, they didn't realize that the problem is that huge. Because in our country, it's not really um, a common thing to speak about problems like that. It's supposed to be something you don't share with strangers, especially, and uh, is as anywhere in the world, I guess, like most women uh, never share their stories because it's hard to share. It's hard to uh, remember it. It's hard to go through it in your memory. So, yeah. Has the movement have had the effect of encouraging more women to speak up about it? about, about uh, sexual abuse, about domestic violence and things like this? It's a good question because I think it definitely encouraged some women. But uh, on the other hand, it's uh, um, according to the amount of victim blaming that happened during this uh, flash mob, I think a lot of women felt that they won't ever share their stories because uh, the victim blaming and... Uh, the bullying of women who shared their stories was really rough and rude. And uh, I, can, I can just imagine that if you, are a sp if you spend years uh, not sharing your story 
and if you spend years and you were afraid to speak up and then you see online all these bullying comments all this victim blaming you may ne never share this again you may never share this any time in your life. But I guess the other side of that is that at least you know that there are some other people like you who have had similar experiences. I mean, what was, I think, so interesting and maddening about Me Too was the backlash afterwards. I mean, has there been a backlash as a result of the, the um, I'm not afraid to say, uh, movement? It was, and I think it was really supportive because um, uh, you, you are right when um, the victim of domestic violence or victim of abuse uh, sees so many stories uh, she doesn't feel alone anymore that much that she felt before and it is really important maybe she won't share her stories but she will see that this is a common problem and a lot of women are facing it every day so it's like a reality we live in certainly for a lot of people in the West Pussy Riot has been the main reference for mm -hmm. contemporary feminism in Russia I know that happened quite a few years ago now. I mean, in your opinion, how has feminism moved on since Pussy Riot in Russia? And do you think that Pussy Riot is still influencing the, the shape of feminism in Russia today? Um, I think it's important to understand that the feminist movement is not some kind of a, a monolith uh, thing. It's a big movement with different strategies and uh, uh, theories and... Um, uh, directions so uh, like there is liberal feminism and radical feminism and intersectional feminism and uh, eco-feminism so uh, you can't just like put all these activists and uh, uh, strategies together as one thing but um, I think uh, Pussy Riot are uh, of course the most uh, well-known uh, feminists from Russia since their case was really huge on media all over the world and uh, their impact is really huge on what was happening here but um, I'm kind of frustrated that uh, there is uh, like mostly people know only about them when they speak about feminism in Russia which is not correct and uh, uh, I really respect what they did and what they're doing right now. I think that uh, uh, the problem is that a lot of feminist activists, uh, they're maybe not really represented in the Western European media mm -hmm. uh, because uh, a lot of work that they do is in Russian and uh, a lot of feminist activists are not really good in English or they know some other languages. So sometimes it's hard for them to communicate with like I don't know, Western world or European medias. So they're, uh, they're staying unseen in a way, which is not really... Um, fair. Fair, yeah. Um, so uh, what I'm trying to do right now is using my privilege as a feminist who is in contact with different European activists and media to try to make... Uh, all the activists who are really ac active here more visible to the outside world, outside of the Russia. I'm fascinated by your very impressive portfolio of activities that you're involved in. I know that you're working on a festival, you're involved in a, a rock camp for women, trans and non-binary people and other activities which I think are going to be happening over Women's Day and the weekend that follows. How has that been to be involved with or, or to be part of the organisational crew? For me, um, the most challenging thing is to like, find time to do everything that I want to do. Uh, 
because I really, it's a really important part of my life uh, doing activism, but it's really hard um, to survive here doing only activism, of course, because you have to do your daily job, you have to study, you have to like live your life and things like that. But uh, the community is not that big because like there's no so there's not so much women who have this privilege and free time to really organize things. During uh, the 8th um, till 10th of March, it will be several feminist events, and I'm really glad that it will be so many. Um, first of all, um, I received great news yesterday from my uh, colleagues from feminist movement here that uh, the government approved uh, a women's march uh, in St. Petersburg, wow. which is a rare thing because uh, for the couple of years uh, it wasn't, uh, we didn't it was restricted, it wasn't legal. So we still went out to the streets and we protested and we did some kind of march there. But it was uh, fights with police because it was not legal and a lot of activists got arrested and uh, some of activists got abused by police. So uh, this year it is very important that uh, this action, this women's march will be legal. So it will be more safe for women to participate. And I think it will... Mm, uh, make people want to go more and join this thing because no one wants to get in trouble with the police. And when you see that the action is not legal, you won't go there because you don't won't want to get arrested. Mm. Isn't that a good thing, though? That is that not a sign in St. Petersburg, at least, that on an official level they're recognizing the the right that women have to protest on the streets? Um, actually, I don't think that this is a sign. Oh, like really? uh, because like. Okay, last year they didn't uh, make it legal. The year before that they didn't, but three years ago they did, but nothing actually changed. And I think they're not seeing feminist movement as a real power community. So uh, they don't see any threat in us because uh, like, obviously we won't, like there won't be like thousands of hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people on the streets uh, at the day. Uh, I think it can be like a couple of thousands, but this is maximum. And uh, so they don't see us as a threat. So it's not that problem for them to legalize it and make it legal, this kind of process. And they'll be um, happening across different Russian cities. So it's not just Moscow and St. Petersburg, right? Yeah, it will be happening across I, not only Russia, like in Belarus, like all the post-Soviet space, I guess. Wow. So it's like more than 15 people involved in this charity actions uh, to support domestic violence survivors called Nivinovata, Not Her Fault. And uh, another one is Fem Femland Camp. Is, it is a musical camp uh, with workshops for women, trans and non-binary people. And speaking Sounds about great. yeah, and speaking about uh, Nivinovata uh, charity action, it was the idea of uh, two people from local punk independent musical scene. Uh, uh, one of them is uh, Lena from the band Pazori. It's an indie punk band from Tomsk, actually. And another guy is uh, Vasya Ganyok uh, from another punk band. And they came up with the idea to do something at the 8th of March um, inside the DIY punk music community in Russia. And uh, uh, they contacted uh, feminist activist Katya Valera, my friend and uh, colleague. 
and she contacted me and we decided to join and help them to make this um, as a charity event because they really wanted to uh, focus on the domestic violence survivors uh, because they realized that this is a huge problem but they need some help to like research information and uh, collaborate with feminist movement on that so we took that part to like um, evolve it and uh, gather some people in it and make this really feminist and political. That's interesting what you say about subcultures because obviously I think we're very far away from seeing a kind of mainstream feminism in Russia but if feminism exists anywhere you'd think that it would exist in subcultures in kind of independent scenes or independent cultural and artistic scenes. Is that not the case here in Russia? Do you still experience sexism and misogyny within, for example, the independent music scene that you're involved in? The problem of sexism and uh, different kinds of discrimination is really huge uh, inside all these subcultural communities, for example, punk community or hardcore community, uh, because it's mostly dominated by male musicians. I agree with you that uh, feminism is more likely to be seen uh, among people who are part of different subcultural communities such as like uh, independent musical scene or like DIY scene but it doesn't happen that way and uh, I'm really inspired by Riot girl movements from the 90s because that's what they were fighting against they were inside this hardcore punk community in the US back in the days and they were feeling that there's no space for women there and then there's no space for minorities there at all because the space is mostly dominated by men. Mm -hmm. And the same thing is happening in Russia right now as well because even though some of the musicians are like presenting themselves as a social justice activist, they still can be really sexist or homophobic representing this whole culture of DIY punk uh, hardcore scene as a toxic masculine thing, which is not, because there are a lot of women musicians and a lot of uh, minorities who are really into that scene and want to be a part of it, but they can't because it's too toxic. Mm. So uh, with this action, particularly Nevinavata festival, we want to gather uh, on the basis of the idea that uh, independent musical scene and DIY scene and subcultural communities are not only for men, they are open for everyone and it is important to um, fight for equality and inclusivity in it and stand against violence in it because it's not really about violence, it's about justice. I guess if I switch topics slightly, mm -hmm. um, I had the opportunity yesterday to go to the women-only cafe in St. Petersburg yeah. that I know it, it opened maybe a week or two ago and it had quite a lot of press. Um, I thought it was an amazing place. It, it was, it's basically a safe space, isn't it? It's a place where feminist activists can get together and, and talk and discuss. It's a coffee shop. Um, what's, the, what's the reaction been here in, in St. Petersburg towards this cafe? Oh, the reaction was terrible, actually. It was... Uh I was so angry when I heard and read all um, the articles in the media about it because uh, the main focus was on that why they don't let men in. 
And isn't it like the reverse sexism? Oh God, I hate that argument. Yeah, and things like that. So even I am um, like kind of famous um, activist here uh, in St. Petersburg and like in Moscow. So I have a lot of followers on Instagram. And I thought that my followers were really into this subject and I don't have to explain to them what is like male freak cafe about and what is the safer space thing but i had when i published uh, news about this cafe named simona uh, named after the name of simona de beauvoir i love it yeah so everyone was like don't you see that this is a reverse sexism why like it's not uh, equal rights when someone can get in there and i had to explain that it's not about men at all it's not about not letting someone in it's about making a safer space for people who don't feel safe anywhere in like thousands of cafes all over the city where any man can go and it was funny because like if there were no information about this male freak affair, no one, no man would ever want to go there because it's on the basis of this feminist uh, space called Eve's Ribs, like the most famous space and the only one actually in St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. So it was so funny that at that second when you say that it's male free, a lot of males, uh, males want to go there and want to fight for their uh, right to go there and to be there, even if they will, will, won't ever go there anyways uh, like in different situations it was really ugly and i think it it is a really good example of how man doesn't understand one of the most important feminist uh, words uh, which say no means no it's really about that uh, this is a space which said to men no we don't want you to be here it's our space for our safety and the man and a huge media ignores this no and shows how like screwed up is our society. I think I only have one more question. So I'm going to ask you what you have planned for the next year and what you hope to be working on. One of the most important projects that I uh, run now is a project that I do um, along with uh, several um, friends uh, who are also feminist activists. We're doing this uh, thing called uh, uh, GRRR party. It's like GRRR. <laughs> Uh, not girl, but girl. It's like the sound. Uh, yeah, a, a like a roar. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, safer space parties, like a disco party for um, women, trans, and non-binary people. So we really want to change the club, scene, the local club scene, and provide a safer space for people who want to have fun, who want to listen to music and dance, but feel safe uh, in the clubs. So we already did three parties like that. And it's also a charity project because all the profit goes also to the different organizations who help women. And another thing that I work on right now is a project uh, which is going to help uh, activists from all over the globe to collaborate and to find contacts and to uh, do projects together. Because I think it's a really big problem that activists from different countries sometimes can't really find each other because they're speaking different languages because they don't have english uh, platforms online so it's really hard for example for me from russia to find an activist uh, from uh, finland because i don't know finnish language and like the finnish activist doesn't know russian language so it's like there's no connections happening so i think it's really important for the social justice movement 
to be able to um, gather uh, and act globally, act internationally. So what I'm going to do in my project is to help to develop this um, intersections and uh, collaborative strategies and contact bases. No, yeah, it sounds fascinating. Well, thank you so much for your time and coming on the podcast. We'd be very glad to have you back in the future again. Thank you so much too.